Smith, welcome everybody into episode 581 of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thank you so much for being here and making time for us this week. I've got a great show lined up for you as you know, this is the time of year where it's a season of change, right? Spring has wrapped up for most of us. Uh, I think there's still, I was talking to our buddy uh, Kevin Harland over at First Light. He was still going to get on a uh, a bear hunt, but a lot of seasons, both spring turkey, black bear, uh, those have come and gone. I think he's going to be in Idaho, so they're still open for business. But uh, yeah, most of it is in the rearview mirror and temperatures are rising. <laughs> I don't know. This is like, it's kind of a dead time. Uh, there's like two dead times. It's like February um, and then like June and July, right? By August, everything's amped back up and... There's chores to be done at the deer lease. Everyone's getting ready for the season. Uh, doves right around the corner, September 1st. But right now, it's it's really all about fishing for me. Uh, hope you all are making time to wet a line as well. Um, but anyway, we've got a great show lined up for you today, and I'll tell you all about it right now. So you know what to do. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old Stanley Thermos. The one granddaddy passed down years ago because we are ready to rock and roll. And we've got two guests for you. It's a brother and sister. Uh, I think Trevor Schneider lives in Idaho. Tana Grinda lives in Alaska. And that's relevant because they were hunting coastal brown bear in Alaska when all hell broke loose. And they're literally sitting there with their lives flashing before their eyes. A rifle jammed. uh, A handgun was involved. And ultimately... Well, they're here to talk about it, <laughs> but I think there was a moment in time where they wondered uh, if they were going to make it out of there. So they'll be here in just a minute, and they'll spend the duration of today's episode with us um, rehashing how that played out, what it, or if they would have done something differently. Uh, were they undergunned? What caused the rifle to malfunction? How many times was this huge bear actually hit? Um, oh, man. Scary stuff. I think, and, and I'm being honest here, like mountain lions don't scare me. Wolves don't scare me. The odds of being attacked by them, uh, certainly higher by a mountain lion. Uh, wolves aren't going to mess with you. But black bear, yeah, they will. I'm not really afraid of black bear. Grizzly, on the other hand, uh, brown bears, yeah. I'd say they're the only mammal in North America that really I have a healthy fear of. And I don't mean I'm not going to go into the places and pursue other critters and hopefully one day pursue them. But man, being in the company of brown bears, I mean, your, your senses are heightened and, uh, and I, I haven't done it a lot really just in Montana. And that was just your typical, uh, grizzly, but those circumstances certainly dictate that you stay on high alert. Uh, so cool stuff coming up with Trevor and Tana here, uh, in just a minute, let's do a quick giveaway. I just got a huge shipment of shotgun shells from Kent Cartridge. Whether you want um, a box of bismuth for duck season, or if you'd rather have three boxes of Kent Cartridge's uh, dove loads, I think the ones I've got are 12 gauge. Um, 
but whatever you prefer. We'll let you take your pick, which is pretty cool because I was at Academy the other day, not a box of ammo on the shelves, not shotgun shells, and certainly not rifle or handgun ammunition. Forget about it. Uh, but we'll give away whatever you want here today. Just email the word Kent. That's Kent to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com, and you are entered into today's Kent Cartridge giveaway. Let's knock out a quick break. Coming up next, a brown bear tail that will make the hair on the back of your neck stand up on SEI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Hey guys, Cable here for Quiet Cat, the leader in e-bikes made specifically for overlanding, hunting, fishing, and remote access to the great outdoors. Quiet Cat provides outdoor enthusiasts a means of portable, low-impact transportation while providing you with the most reliable product on the market. I own a Quiet Cat, and it has surpassed all my expectations. It's an amazing machine that stealthily gets me wherever the hunting or fishing adventure takes me. Based out of Eagle, Colorado, Quiet Cat is able to put all of their products to the test, making sure your e-bike is built to last. Visit QuietCat.com or call 970-328-2399 for more info. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Hey, this is Nick Munt from Bone Collector, and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Storm clouds broke and the sunshine came. You rode stone, you broke the chain. There's a little Whiskey Myers bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith, right shotgun with you. Thanks for dropping by today. As we're about to get into a hunt for species that has to be damn near the top of my bucket list, certainly for North America. I think brown bear would be 1A with uh, all the, the sheep species being 1B, as far as things that I haven't taken yet. Now, with that being said, um, I don't think I'd enjoy, and I don't think our next guest enjoyed their recent experience, to be frank, but we're going to hear all about it with Trevor Schneider and Tana Grinda. But first, this segment brought to you by SCI, the worldwide leader in big game conservation, whether it's Alaska, Africa, or anywhere in the lower 48, SCI continually puts its money where its mouth is. They invest in conservation. They invest in educating the non-hunting public. And, of course, they invest in protecting our rights as sportsmen and women. So, for more info, check us out at safariclub.org. We'd love to have you. All right. Well, let's bring on today's guest, uh, Trevor Schneider and Tana Grinda, joining us from, I think they're in different states, to be frank, but uh, I'm sure they can shed light on that. Guys, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Thanks. So, Trevor, you just returned from Alaska, correct? Yeah, I did. Yep. Just got back to North Idaho. Back to work today. Right. And and Tana, now you live in Alaska? Yep. I live um, out in the bush. Okay. So, all right. Things are starting to make sense now. Um, I've never never hunted Alaska, but 
it's certainly at the top of the bucket list. A lot of that is just because it's so damn expensive. Uh, what part of uh, Alaska are you in, Tana? I'm in the southwest part, like over in Bristol Bay. So it's about 300 miles off the nearest road system of Anchorage. Um, really pretty cool area with lots of hunting opportunity. And where are you guys from originally? Both from North Idaho, where I, where I still live now. Okay. And so, yeah. okay, y'all are siblings. And is there another one, another... Uh, is there another brother here somewhere? Um, we have two other brothers that are also involved kind of in the hunting YouTube channel that we have, but okay. um, yeah, neither one of them were up on this hunt with us. Okay. Okay, cool. So the expensive thing, like I said, is why I haven't been to Alaska. Like I'd love to come on Kodiak uh, brown bear, but you're looking at like, you know, 20 grand. Sometimes you could maybe find a moose uh, grizzly hunt for like 30, something like that. And then all the, the sheep species are up upwards of 20, 30 as well. Right. But if Tana lives in Alaska, that's kind of, it seems like you're in there, uh, Trevor. Yeah, it is. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I did, did a uh, doll sheep a couple years ago with her up there and then moose last, uh, last fall. Then this year bear, um, planning on doing a goat hunt on Kodiak in, in the fall to October. Oh, awesome. Awesome. I do, I do know uh, a couple of friends that have done like DIY moose hunts and you know, they use like a freighter that, uh, We'll fly them in and then drop, you know, come back like a week later. And they, they had success. Same with like caribou. I think those yeah. are closer to like four or 5,000. You could do it. Um, yeah. So there, there still is that opportunity, which is much more affordable. But I think the best route is to have a sibling or a family. hundred percent. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty lucky having her up there. And um, yeah, not to mention Adam, her husband has a super cup airplane there too. And He's really good at flying it. So he gets us into some good spots. So had you hunted bears previously? I've done quite a bit of bears hunting um, just around Idaho. Um, usually black bears, never done grizzly bear. Tana's done a couple. She's actually got one with a bow. Uh, I think that oh, wow. was last year, wasn't it, Tana? Up there? Two years ago. Yep, yep. And so um, Tana's done it a couple times, but for me, it was my first time doing a grizzly anyways. It looked like there was still a lot of snow on the ground. There was. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of a, kind of a little bit of a late winter up there this year. And so there wasn't really much green down on the beaches, which is kind of why we ended up having to go up in the snow after boars. Mm -hmm. um, typically you'll have uh, from what Tana says and, and their couple previous hunts they've done. Um, the bears are kind of down roaming the beaches and none of the boars were down even close to the beach at the point that we were up there. And so we ended up having to go up above the snow line up in the Alpine after him. Wow. And so these bears, uh, Tana, when do they typically come out of hibernation? We'll start seeing them pop usually beginning of April through April and May. Really, it's it was kind of crazy this year because brown bear, where, where we do, it's not Kodiak, it's um, coastal browns on the Alaska Peninsula. So okay. similar size, mm -hmm. um, you know, world class is a 10 footer, 28 skull or over. So um, they're usually popping in April and this year, our last snow, I think was the second week in April and we didn't hardly see any tracks even toward the end of April. Like they were barely coming out. And as you'll hear in our story, like this one had just come out of the den, you know, the second week in May. So it was really a late year this uh, year. So these are coastal brown bear and, but yep. you know, just like the Kodiak, I mean, these are the largest bears in the world. Yep. Um, like logistically for you, I, like you said, you guys had a plane, but how much travel was incorporated into to getting there? 
uh, Trevor? Uh, um, for me, you know, obviously I have to get up to King Salmon where Tana lives. Um, and so once I get up there, uh, we had about a two hour flight in the super cub and, um, Tana was actually in the super cub and I went with one of her husband's buddies, um, that took me in, in a tri-pacer. And so it's about two hours from the closest town, um, in the air. And so, you know, of course, no roads, no anything. Um, they just went and landed us on a beach. There's no um, airstrip or anything like that. And we just camped on the beach from there. So we're pretty much in the middle of nowhere. So tent camping. Yep. Okay. Correct. Right on. And um, what uh, firearm did you decide to take on this? So the plan was actually um, to do an archery hunt. And so I was going to try to get one with a bow. And then um, Tana was going to, if it charged me, um, and her, she would have a rifle and I would have a pistol. Um, if that unfortunate case were to happen, um, that's not really how things transpired. Cause, cause we ended up having to use or wanting to use a rifle cause the, the situation just didn't call for an archery shot. Yeah. Um, and so the plan was that we'd, you know, basically have a backup rifle and a backup pistol after an archery shot. Um, but we had a three thirty eight ultra mag. So I, I am interested because I, I shot an elk last year in New Mexico and I hit it in the front shoulder and didn't get enough penetration. So I'm about to go to Africa and I'm planning on taking a sable uh, with a bow and then maybe Cape Buffalo in 2022. So I'm oh, wow. like starting to explore how to, you know, a heavier arrow setup. Um, that was a 65 pound bow. I just ordered a 72 pound bow. Um, what uh, Tano, you're, a woman and i'm not saying that you're not strong or anything like that um but <laughs> what 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 did you use on your archery uh, bear hunt and then trevor talk about what uh, what you were what you took on this as well yeah i just have a a men's bow i i got a bow tech um and mine is a 60 pound bow so i was pulling 60 to 62 right in there and my shot was about 50 yards um and I just used like a 400 grain, like regular gold tip arrow. And I had a Magnus stinger broadheads and it did great one shot. That's all it took. I didn't have to back up, back it up or finish it off with a rifle or anything. It just took one arrow right behind the shoulder, um, through the lungs and it died. And that was an 8.5 foot sow. So eight and a half foot sow is still a pretty good size bear. It's yeah. not like a 10 foot boar like Trevor got on this hunt, but um, hindsight, I probably would never hunt them with a, a bow again <laughs> after <Yeah>. that experience. <laughs> okay. And, but yeah, and, 60 pounds is what I pulled and it. I got great penetration with that. Okay. And, uh, Trevor, what did, what, what did you take on this? Yeah. So I have a 70 pound Bowtech realm X. Um, and then about the same, I shoot about 400 grain arrows. Um, I usually shoot a Montec for a broadhead. They're just solid. I like solid one piece broadheads. Just, I don't like mm -hmm having to deal with the possibility of blades breaking or something like that. So I've just always been a, a solid broadhead kind of guy and it's always done really good. I mean, I kill a lot of elk with it and um, killed a moose last year in, in September with it up in Alaska. And so um, got some big animals down with it. Um, that one was a straight on shot on that moose. And I mean, it died within about 20 seconds. Um, and so, uh, right you know, yep. Yep. Right in the chest. And so I've only shot um, one animal. I shot an elk in the chest, uh, at like 17 it's a, yards. It's, awesome. it's a, it's a pretty good shot. Actually. Yeah, I mean, if you, really if you have the right shot, that's a good one. Um, but you know, you don't want to hit any bone or brisket, but, um, yeah. And so I was pretty confident with that. I thought, Oh, you know, arrow does some damage. Sometimes I've seen some of those moose take some, some bullet rounds. Um, and it just died so quick with that arrow that I thought, Oh man, grizzly bear, 
should just go right down. <laughs> so, but that's not how this hunt would play out with all the snow on the ground. Is that why you decided to uh, put up the bow or um, was it, uh, was it something else? Mainly. Um, yeah. Kind of the plan, like I said, was that there was going to be bears down roaming the beach. And so we were going to either get set up in front of a bear with the wind in our favor, um, either a boar following a sow um, or even the same situation where we had, where we had a sleeping bear that had recently got out of its den to where they're just kind of groggy. Um, that was the plan, but uh, there's also nowhere to hide in the snow. And so always with these coastal brown bears, um, you know, the few guys that have shot him with bows, you have to hide when you shoot one with a bow or have like a cliff line between you or something to where the bear can't get right to you because for a bear to close 50, 60 yards, I mean, it takes seconds. And so if he sees you, um, usually well before he'll die, he could run to you and, and, you know, tear you up pretty bad. And so the reason, um, was like you said, yeah, it was just all the boars were up in the snow line and, and there's nowhere really to hide. So it's pretty risky getting up there. Um, I mean, mine would have been about an ideal archery opportunity had it not been up in the snow, had he been sleeping in some brush or something like that, um, you know, to where we could have kind of got above him, hit a little bit and snuck an arrow in there. Um, but yeah, it was just wide open snow where these boars were at and where we ended up having to go after this one. Tana, you mentioned that you wouldn't do it again with a bow. Uh, why is that? Just after like seeing how fast they can close the distance. Um, you know, I actually the reason I went in to shoot one with a bow in the first place was because I had this fear of bears. I had had three kind of false charges and encounters with different grizzlies in Idaho and stuff. And I just had this fear of bears. I couldn't sleep in a tent. Like I was always worried I was going to die by a brown bear. Like that's all, that was always my biggest fear. And so I thought, okay, I have to face my fear in order to get over this. I need to shoot one with a bow. If I can stock in on one with a bow and kill one with a bow, I'm the top of the food chain kind of thing. And so I, that's what I did. And I, it helped me like after that, I could sleep in a tent again. I wasn't afraid of bears anymore. I'm like, I'm fine. If I can stop in on a bear and shoot it with a bow, I'm fine. And then after this experience and watching one almost eat us after rifle shots, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not the top of the food chain. Um, I almost died. Like I, I, I'm, I don't think I could do it again. (laughs) I don't, I really don't like my fear is, full swing okay it's bad yeah that probably doesn't bode well for someone who uh, actually lives uh, in grizzly country but we do need to work in a quick break now that we know a little bit about you guys and the background of this hunt um so we'll do that and then get back into the conversation this segment was brought to you by vortex optics and the new venom rifle scope it's a 5 to 25 by 56 absolutely phenomenal bang for your buck if you're a long distance shooter and you don't want to break the bank check out the venom it's brand spanking new and you can find it at vortexoptics.com we'll be right back with more on sci's lone star outdoors show something nostalgic about the old-timey general store and that's exactly what you're going to find in downtown Goldwaith, texas at the mills county general store they're licensed ffl with rifle pistols and shotguns ammo gun accessories hunting accessories deer corn and attractants sporting goods they've got a wide array of knives to choose from plus insulated apparel for both work and 
camo for hunting season, fishing supplies. They've got foods like Anchor Tea, grass-fed beef, Dublin sodas, gourmet sauces, and a whole lot more. Also, Ace Hardware. From wall to wall, they have it all. Check it out. The Mills County General Store right there in Goldthwaite, Texas. Hi, Brett Jepson here with Three Curl Lease Connection. I'd like to invite you to come enjoy some of Texas' best dove hunting just minutes outside of Dallas. We have many private dove leases available for this upcoming season, including milo, wheat, sunflower, and cornfields. Leases come in different sizes and prices, so we can fit anyone's budget. We have the lease that's perfect for you and your group. We don't overcrowd multiple groups into one property, and you'll have the first pick at renewing your lease for years to come. Please visit us at threecurl.com and click on leases for your property listings. That's T-H-R-E-E-C-U-R-L.com. Throw up a prayer for me too, won't you, David? It seems that our numbers have started to fall. I thought missions were made for the will of the holy. Surely his will says this mission won't fall. Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back to SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. Getting a little help there from our good friend Shane Smith and the Saints. Crockett's Prayer, the name of that one. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being here today as we are talking brown bears with Trevor Schneider and his sister Tana Grinda. But before we get back into their experience, one, to be frank, that I don't ever want to have, uh, this segment is brought to you by Big and J Attractants. The kids, they actually fight over who gets to put the Big and J out because then they think they're the ones that brought the deer in. Like the, when they see the pictures, like, oh yeah, that's I, that's because I put the, no, it's not. It's because Big and J makes a badass product. It's so tasty that I often even catch Henry eating it, just grabbing a handful to each their own, I suppose. But Big and J, they've got a new Apple lineup of a whitetail attractants to go along with their uh, other great products like the BB squared. And you can find all of that stuff right there at bigandj.com. Well, let's get back into it with Trevor Schneider and Tana Grinda, who you'll recall were uh, brown bear hunting in Alaska here a couple weeks back, as they uh, mentioned in the previous segment. Um, I'm sure you have uh, heard or seen horror stories of bears killing people and um, that's just part of the reality. I was black bear hunting in Alberta a couple of years ago. And my, uh, my guide told us this story about, um, they were in the Yukon and it was his buddy. It wasn't him. Uh, but they were moose hunting and it was a one-on-one hunt and they got out of the tent in the morning and there was a spectacular bull moose just like right there, a hundred yards outside of camp. So he told the guy, he's like, get your rifle, you know, woke him up. Essentially they shoot the moose they start ferrying it back to camp. And since it happened so quick, the, uh, the guide had left his firearm in the tent. They're, they're like, I don't know what number trip they're making back to the tent with the meat. And all of a sudden this grizzly jumps out. It starts coming at the, the hunter, the guide yells to get his attention. And then the guide is like, well, I don't have a gun. And so he shuts up. The other guy had his gun, but it was on his pack. And, um, anyway, he fell. He was so scared. He fell off of this little ravine and he ended up like breaking his leg, the hunter. And he starts screaming in pain and the bear goes down there and just with one swipe, just rips his throat out and kills him instantly. And then wow. the, uh, the, the guide had to basically cover his body and wait for four days for the weather to break. Um, before someone could come get him out and just like trying to keep the crows and other right. you know, varmints off of it. Just awful experience. I can't even imagine 
I don't, I doubt the guy continued to guide after that. I don't know. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's almost something that you see and hear a lot about, but you're like, Oh, it's never going to happen to me. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think a lot of people realize just the sheer mass of these bears. And, you know, like you said, it just took one swipe, ripped your throat open. I mean, that's really all it takes. Um, you, you know, before you even would have a chance to do anything, you know, it's, it's just, yeah. I mean, you, you could easily just have an artery cut. I mean, they've got big claws. They have a lot of power. Um, it would not take much for one of these bears to kill you. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. So do you guys even bother with bear spray? What, no, no, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? After this hunt, I'm actually, uh, believe it or not, I am going to start running bear spray too. Um, I actually ordered a 500 pistol that I'll be having on my chest full time now, but um, I think I'm going to start bringing bear spray on my belt as well, just because um, like Tana was saying, you know, we do have some false charges and stuff here with Grizzlies. Mm-hmm. And so after this experience, um, you honestly should not shoot a bear unless you're pretending or intending to kill it. I mean, if you're, um, you know, just going to try thinking that you're going to get one shot in it and, and it's going to deescalate the situation, um, it's probably not. I mean, that, and so I now realize that, okay if you are planning to shoot at a bear, you have one false charging you, um, you know, you have to basically be able to shoot it enough times that you're going to kill it before it gets to you. Um, and so now I'm going to start carrying bear spray for that, um, situation where maybe you have time to think about it. Um, and you know, you have time to evaluate what the wind is doing and be able to deescalate the situation without having to wound a bear first and then have it be really pissed off and then come at you. Um, you're not going to do much if you just get one pistol shot in it. And, and I mean, even a 10 millimeter or something like that would be not enough to, to get the job done either. You know, you're just going to piss it off. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, there's also this reality out there that a lot of these bears do charge and get shot. And then you never hear about it. I mean, I've talked to multiple people, they won't never go on the record about it, but you know, they don't want to bring the heat of the DNR or whatever on themselves, but um, you know, because you might go to jail or you'd certainly right. have to prove that your life was in, in jeopardy. And so I, mean, I, I know at least a couple of people that have just killed them and then, you know, moved on with their lives. Uh, right. And I imagine that happens a lot more than people realize. I'm sure it does. I mean, we even had one here in North Idaho. It's like you said, I mean, they really come after you. And there was one that even um, had killed a guy and, and uh, there was such a lengthy investigation on it uh, because it was like a guy and his buddy. And the guy that was still alive, I mean, he had to go through a full investigation his process dead. even after his buddy proof? died. Um, yeah. Yep. And, wow. and so, I mean, they are pretty strict on that because they still are on the endangered species list. Yeah. I, I wouldn't agree that they're endangered, especially in our area, but they're yeah. still on that list to where, um, you know, every time that one gets killed, regardless of whether it was charging you or not, they go through a very lengthy investigation. And there's a lot of people that are trying um, to regardless of the facts, get you in trouble for it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not advocating for that. I'm just saying that's probably, it probably happens a lot more than people realize. How did the hunt play out? Like, as far as I know the bears were not really playing ball, but were, were you seeing bears every day? Yeah, we were. Um, we weren't seeing a lot though. And so because there wasn't a whole lot out yet, um, we weren't seeing tons of them. Like I said, there wasn't green grass down at the bottom. So a lot of times the sows are coming down and eating some green grass. Um, roaming the beaches just at that low elevation and there was just no green grass yet and so it was just occasionally we'd see a sow roaming the beach somewhere usually pretty far off 
Um, you wouldn't be able to see the mountains unless it was sunny. So when it was sunny, you could look up on the mountains and you could see where the bear tracks were. We'd kind of take mental images of uh, where there'd be bear tracks. And then, you know, I mean, you're basically looking at the same mountain a hundred times throughout the day, you know, spending about 18 hours glassing a day um, until we found ones to go after. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it was, we only had two boars um, that we actually went after and, or that we saw at all that were what we would consider big enough to shoot. Okay. And what were you looking for quality wise? Goal is always a, a 10 foot plus, um, you know, that's a pretty big goal when it comes to those coastal Browns. There's just, yeah, I mean, that's a big bear. And so, um, yeah. we usually are, um, uh, me and my sister and brothers are kind of known for, um, the pushing the limit a little bit more to, to get those big animals. Um, and so, you know, where typically you'll have guides and stuff, like we said, most people have to have a guide to go on this hunt. Um, they kind of hang around the beach, kind of wait for the bears to come walk by them. Um, you know, they're not afraid to sit there for two weeks if it takes it for one to come by. You know, we usually try to be successful in the first couple of days if we can. So um, we just hit it as hard as possible um, to be successful, basically. But yeah, we only saw two big boars and we ended up chasing both of them. Okay. And so I think it was on the fourth day you guys spotted this, this bear. It was actually the third day, um, just right before it got dark. Um, and by dark, and so, it was like what, four or five hours of, yep. of uh, darkness. Yep. It's dark about midnight to five ish. Um, and so, yeah, you've got a couple hours of darkness there. Um, so yeah, we spotted him. I mean, it was about six miles as the crow flies, um, you know, and that's through creeks, rivers, ravines, brush. And so, I mean, it ends up being a lot more by the time that you, end up getting there but as the crow flies we spotted him from about six miles away wow okay so optics obviously a, a big part of this endeavor big time yep yep i mean i'm i'm typically not as good of a glasser i don't have the patience to glass as much so this was a little bit of a more challenging hunt for me to just have the patience to sit there on glass all day long i mean we had two different days where we were on glass for 18 hours and I mean, never found anything to go after. And so, I mean, it's just 18 hours of like, you know, occasionally I'd take a little 15 minute nap while Tana would glass and then we'd swap, you know? And yeah. so, but for the most part, I mean, you're looking at the same mountain just over and over and over again. And um, yeah, glass is a big part of up there. And if you don't have good glass, your eyes will get exhausted. Yeah. And a big so part of bear hunting up there is not spreading scent. So um, bears have incredible noses and that's a big part of it. So their scent or your scent is something that you really want to be aware of. So that's why you sit in glass. You don't hike around and look for bears. You sit in one spot close to your camp and you glass until you find it and go instead of walking around like other hunts. Yeah. So, so Tana, you glass this bear up then? Um, I actually spotted some new tracks. So we would have the sun come out on the mountain and you would, uh, you know, with the sun, see new tracks that we hadn't seen the day before. We kind of took a visual map of where the tracks were and every day we would see new ones. Then we try to follow those tracks and kind of track it through the spotter. And I looked up at these cliffs and I saw these fresh tracks that I hadn't seen the day before. And I'm looking at it like, are those bear tracks? Cause this thing is like trying to walk off a cliff. Trevor's like, no, it can't be. And he's looking, he's like, yep, sure enough, they are. And then Trevor was kind of following the tracks as I was looking at the cliffs and Trevor actually followed the tracks to a dot in the snow and the tracks stopped. So he was kind of the one that saw them after he kind of tracked it. You guys have to bail and come back the next day. 
Yeah. So, I mean, we basically just saw it and it was, it appeared to be taking a nap on a hill. I mean, from six miles, you can only see so much. Right. And so you could just see, like Tana said, the tracks went up the hill, they made a little side hill and then they just stopped and there was just a black dot in the snow, a big black dot. And so we were pretty sure that, okay, that looks like a bear. Um, at this point, we didn't have much idea of the size or anything. We both kind of just thought, well, it's way the heck up there. If it's a, if it's way up there and it walked across those cliffs, I mean, for whatever reason, we thought it's probably a big one. And so, um, yeah, so we just basically were like, okay, well, we have to wait it out. We can't go and just start trekking up this mountain in the dark. Um, and so we need to wait it out until morning. We'll see if we can get eyes on this guy first thing. And if it is, then we'll kind of make a game plan at that point. And so how, how easy was it to pick him back up the next day? Same he was spot. in the exact same spot. And <laughs> so, so he's like just lethargic because he's just come out of yep. hibernation. Yep. And so we were actually hoping that he'd stay in that same spot all day. So at that point, we thought, oh man, you know, it's still not the greatest spot. He is up in the snow, um, but he's not quite at the top. And so it's like, okay, well, um, you know, let's start wait, working our way in on him, but it's going to take us all day to get there. So we kind of slightly prepped to spend the night up on the mountain, but, um, in hindsight, we could have prepped a little bit better for that because there was pretty much no chance that we were going to make it back to the tent in the same day. Okay. So casually prepping for what's definitely going to end up being an overnight trip. Uh, we're going to hear all about that. Plus the rifle jamming. Oh, scary stuff. We'll do that after the break. That segment brought to you by the first light seek Stormlight jacket. It literally rained 22 out of the 31 days in May here in North Texas. And whether I was turkey hunting or working in the yard, and I don't mean little drizzles like you would expect in the Pacific Northwest. I mean deluges and just about daily. It was insane. Lakes are full. Going to be a good duck season. Fingers crossed. But that Stormlight jacket kept me high and dry no matter what I was doing. Uh, range days, you know, still got to get gun sighted in. I pretty much lived in it for the entire month of May. And you can find the Seek Stormlight jacket at firstlight.com. Up next, things start to get a little dicey for Trevor and Tana on their Alaskan brown bear hunt. You're listening to SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Our night vision and thermal imaging has been helping hunters light up the night for over a decade now. I've been with them for quite some time. Back in the early days, thermal optics were pretty expensive. You might not realize it, though. The average guy can get into a thermal rifle scope these days very affordably. I've got the Thermion XP50. Absolutely love that scope. It's got a diverse color palette, lots of options to choose from, whether you want white hot, uh, black hot, red hot, you name it. There's tons of options, literally. It's got internal recording as well, and it's got internal and external battery options. So you can hunt all night without having to worry about running out of batteries. You can find the Thermion XP50 as well as their entire lineup of thermal and night vision optics right there at PulsarNV.com. Spawn is right around the corner. Your reels have been re-spooled, and the tackle box is ready to roll. But the question is, can your truck handle another season of pulling your boat in and out of the water every weekend? Call David Boone at Third Coast Diesels. He'll make sure your truck is not what sinks your next fishing trip. Offering a widespread array of diesel parts and services, call 214-326-1176 or visit thirdcoastdiesels.com today. They all ask me how I'm doing. I just smile and realize that although it was kind to me, my youth is all behind me. Now I'm on the loose. 
lose inside The lose inside of 25 Cable Smith, welcome everybody back to SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Losing side of 25, one of my favorites from American Aquarium. You know what? The other side of 25 ain't so bad. Being a dad is awesome. And uh, I think as I approach 40, things hurt more for sure. But uh, I think it might be my best decade yet. Looking forward to it. Um, we're still visiting with Trevor Schneider and Tana Grinda regarding a harrowing brown bear hunt that, well, it's about to go south real quick, and we're going to hear exactly how it plays out momentarily. This segment is brought to you by Stealth Cam. If you haven't checked out the new Fusion, you need to do it. Gone are the days of paying $300 for a wireless trail camera. You can pick one up for like $170. Data plans as cheap as $5 a month. You can find the Fusion at StealthCam.com. All right. Uh, well, Trevor, Tana, when we left off, you guys had spotted a big boar. Problem was he was about six miles away. So y'all went back to camp, grabbed some sparse overnight gear and set off again. And we're actually able to find him relatively close to where you left him the previous day, uh, pretty much the same spot. Now, I, I did have a question because w- when we hear about the charge and the distance of the, the first shot, I really wasn't aware that bears had decent eyesight at all. So up until this point, we didn't think that it was really that great. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I mean, it was kind of like, okay, you know, these are mainly smelling animals. I mean, I don't really think they have super good vision. I, it's not like I mean, sheep or anything like that. Feral hogs out the ass in Texas and their vision is terrible. Like literally gotcha. you can sneak up on them in the day within to within 60, 70 yards. No problem. But, right. I mean, once again, if they get downwind of you, you're screwed. Right. Yeah. And it, it would probably be pretty well. close to this. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, being able to hear, um, see if you were upwind and in the brush, you know, they would probably have a hard time seeing you. Um, on this one, you know, we were uh, most of our, you know, probably seven, eight mile stock going up there. We were down below the snow line. And so, you know, he didn't really see us. And I don't think, you know, they can see from that far. I've hunted sheep before up there and I mean, those things, it's basically like they have binoculars for eyes. I mean, you right. just cannot, even even on a long stock up a draw, I mean, you cannot be visible because they will see you and they'll be gone, you know. And so didn't really have to worry about that as much on this one. Um, just, you know, from miles away, we weren't really worried about him seeing us. And so, yeah, I mean, we just kind of started making the stock up there. But at the same time, most of it is is basically following a riverbed. And so you don't start gaining elevation until we almost got to the bear. You know, we had about a mile from the bear before we went from 300 feet elevation to 2,500 feet elevation was about where the bear was at. How close do you guys get before you figure out, uh, we've got to take a shot here? So what actually happened is the bear had moved. And so um, on our way on the stock, we saw the bear get up and, and I mean, we were pretty discouraged because the bear got up and started moving ground and he well, got we were able to uh, see that he was a big one at that point. Yeah. At that point we finally yeah. were. And so that was when we're getting, we're probably still two, three miles out from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just saw him walking across the hillside. Um, and he walks basically out of a visual and I'm thinking he just went and hopped over the top of that mountain and we are never going to see that bear again. <laughs> And so, yes, I mean, but we just started kind of working our way up the canyon. Still, I'm thinking, I want to see where these tracks went because this bear slept in his last spot for 16 hours. Um, you know, maybe he's just looking for a new spot to take another little nap. 
so okay so you get to within what when you when you say okay this is where we're going to take the shot so i got about um i think the first visual we got on the bear again um, after we spotted it from across the canyon to realize that it was taking another nap um, we made the vertical climb and got about 800 yards from it and so we were looking at it about 800 yards and it was like okay it's it's this is too far to shoot a bear like this. And I mean, that's a far shot with wind anyways, the wind wasn't great. Um, it was kind of gusty to where you could kind of work with it a little bit, just wait for a slow time in the wind. Um, but at the same time, you know, you don't want to be shooting anything over 500 with, with decent winds or gusts. And so, um, I mean, I've shot a lot of long range before I've done, uh, I've shot a deer at a thousand eight yards before, um, dropped it one shot. And so, I've done a fairly significant amount of long range hunting to where I'm comfortable shooting at long distances if the conditions are right. Um, and so in this one, I thought, okay, well, we need to work our way up to this point, um, see what the distance is there. If it's under 500, then I'll take the shot. Um, and so we worked our way up to this point, which was one of the, probably the last spots that we could have kind of stayed um, hidden. Um, until we just wrapped up over a knob to where we could see him. And it was 470 yards was, um, where he was at bedded from where we were. Okay. And so what happens then, Tana, do you guys wait for him to stand up? Do you shoot him while he's bedded? I, there's a ton of people, uh, think that it's unethical to shoot something that's bedded. My thought is it's never going to be more still than when it's laying down. So, you know, what you, your job as a hunter is to take the most ethical shot. And that means killing the animal as quickly as possible. So, I have yep. no qualms with it either way, uh, but how did, it, <laughs> how did it play out for you guys? Yeah. I mean, in a perfect situation, we wanted it to stand up and have a broadside shot, mm -hmm. but it was also about five, six o'clock at night. And we had, you know, a good nine miles out and we wanted to make sure if we could kill this bear that we could get off the mountain safely. And we had to do that before it got dark. So we only had about four to five hours until, you know, if we shot this thing, we had to skin it and get off that mountain and descend 2,500 feet down to the creek bottom just to be safe. Cause there are a lot of cliff lines and things that we had to kind of navigate getting up there is a really kind of a sketchy stock. Mm -hmm. Um, so we thought, okay, this thing's been sleeping for almost 24 hours. Now it could be sleeping for the next day and we can't spend the night on this mountain. And so we actually like tried yelling at it, trying to get it to stand up. He was totally out of it he would like stretch his arm and just go back to sleep and so we're like we got to take him here laying down well you had time to, to get prone and yep yep i did so yeah i got i got totally set up got a really stable rest on it um you know with a bipod laying down on my belly so it wasn't freehand or anything yeah. crazy like that you know i mean i i'm was very solid good on the you know just ready to ready to shoot it and um, it was basically laying to where it's, it was still kind of in a broadside, almost a, a slightly quartering to us, but a broadside like laying down um, his head and front shoulder and back was all sticking out of the snow. Um, and so I still felt I could get a pretty good shot given the angle that he, that he was at. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, so I took the first shot. First shot was a great shot. Um, um, after we skinned it, 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 we verified that it was a double lung. I mean, it was just a, a great shot. Um, and then I shot a couple more times, um, a total of four times and watching video back, I connected on three of them. And so the three were all pretty good shots. Um, and it just really didn't look like the bear was going to be able to do much. I mean, it, he would, he stood up and I mean, he's kind of stumbling around, um, and Tana's filming all of this. Yep. At this point, okay. yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so, um, so yeah, she's filming this. And I mean, watching the video back, he looks like he's just going to go down. I mean, he's got 
you know, when he's breathing and, and they have lung blood squirting out the side of him, he had lung blood going out of both sides, coming out of his mouth. And I'm just thinking, okay, this bear is going to go down. Um, but at this point, my gun is also jammed. And so, um, you know, after four rounds, I was going for my fifth round. I had 20 rounds sitting there right beside me, ready to go um, just in case. And now the gun's jammed. So it's not really going to do me any good at this point. Right. Um, I kind of messed with it for a while, tried uh, getting it to work. And it's just that there was nothing I could do to at that point in time and being that rushed and stuff to where I could figure out what was going on with the rifle. Um, at this point, the bear was working his way toward us. It didn't look like he was necessarily coming right at us yet. It was just, he's working his way toward us. And I'm thinking, you know, he's not going to make it here. So, so it's just, you know, I was still nervous, you know, we're both getting nervous and kind of panicking because now we don't have a rifle, but I think he's going to go down is what was kind of going through my head. Okay. And he doesn't, (laughs) he doesn't Yep. And so, I mean, at this point he starts, I I was reading this right up on Instagram was like, one of my followers sent me the the link to your recap. Oh yeah. This would be a great, a great story. Um, and so the bear doesn't go down and I'm sure this is when, I mean, I've never been in that moment, but this has got to be the OS moment for sure. Like, He's coming. What are we right. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, there was a period of time where he kind of, we lost a visual on him. He kind of went down through a, a little bit of a draw, but he was still looking back at photos and stuff. It looks like he had to come uphill, but he really didn't just the way that the bull was, it just looks like that from that angle. So he was able to close the whole distance going downhill, but there was a period of time we didn't really see him. I was kind of hoping that he would fall down um, in that, you know, somewhere down in that draw. And then he rounded the corner. Um, it was probably maybe 200 yards where he rounded the corner to where we could see him again. And I just said, okay, Tana, we got to run, you know, we're he's now he's coming, you know, yeah. and he still wasn't moving super quick at that point. So I was still thinking there's a chance that he dies. There's a chance that he gets to our gear and maybe he just rummages through our gear and that buys us enough time that, that, you know, maybe he can lose more blood. Um, and so we just, took all the weapons, which is a jammed rifle, a bow and a pistol. And I actually handed the pistol to Tana to take the bow and the rifle. And she goes, I'm not doing this and handed me back the pistol. <laughs> and so I handed her the bow and the rifle. And I mean, we just took off sprinting down the hill, left all of our gear. I mean, my backpack still set up in shoot mode. And I mean, my, everything was still just right there. Um, when we ran back the hill and then we lose a visual on him again, because there was the point that we shot from between us and him. Oh, well, that just makes it that much more unnerving. A wounded bear bearing down on you, no pun intended, uh, that you can't even see? No thanks. Uh, We are going to take a break, come back, and hear how this thing plays out in extremely close quarters. That segment was brought to you by our good friends over at Lone Star Ag Credit. Land's the one thing they're not making any more of, but we all want it. If you're ready to take that plunge and make that dream your reality, give Lone Star Ag Credit a call. They've been doing it for over 100 years, and you can find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com. We'll be right back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Whether you're headed to the lake for crappie, the coast for redfish, or trying to put your tag on that big gobbler this spring, don't let your truck tank your next trip. 
Third Coast Diesels does it all. From maintenance to repairs to full diesel rebuilds, any accessory on any truck, doesn't matter. They also do lifts, wheels, tires, hell, you name it. Third Coast Diesel does it. Call David Boone at 214-326-1176 or visit thirdcoastdiesels.com. With city life seemingly getting crazier by the minute, the thought of moving out to the country is looking more appealing than ever. And Foster Farm and Ranch has been recognized as one of the nation's top ranch brokerages the past two years. They have listings in 22 counties and counting and are truly a statewide entity. Foster represents buyers and sellers from all walks of life. Farmers, ranchers, hunters, doctors, lawyers, investors, and possibly you. You can find them on Facebook, Foster Farm and Ranch, or Instagram, at Foster Ranch Sales. Of course, fosterfarmandranch.com, the website, or call chat at 830-776-3605. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at bobcatadvantage.com. Or see Bobcat Machines in person at Bobcat of North Texas in Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, McKinney, Paris, and Sherman. Visit BobcatofDallas.com today. By the early morning I found out Just what outlaw love is really all about Ooh, she's a loaded gun She pulled the trigger just there's a little Mike in the Moon Pies bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you. We are right in the midst of hearing how an Alaskan brown bear hunt gone south plays out with uh, Trevor Schneider and his sister Tana Grinda. But before we pick it back up with this duo, uh, this segment is brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. Josh and Becky Gunther. I've been taking care of all of my trophy mounts for over a decade, whether it's an Alaskan brown bear that I'm going to shoot someday, right? Or uh, an African safari, a South Texas whitetail, a trout from the coast. You name it, they do it all. They do impeccable work with quick turnaround time, and they answer the phone when I call. You can find them at gr8mounts.com. Locations in Marion and San Antonio, Texas, by the way. All right, well, jumping back into it with Trevor and Tana, at this point, Trevor had shot the bear um, three times with a big uh, three thirty-eight caliber, and the rifle jams. The bear's coming now, which, you know, all hell's breaking loose here. Um, and you guys start sprinting down the hill and lose a visual on this rapidly approaching brown bear. We lost a visual on him. At the time, I was hoping he wasn't didn't know where we were either, um, you know, and so obviously up until that point before we went down the hill he could see us and he was coming toward us and so um as we're running down the hill um i didn't have actually the gun holster on my chest because i had taken the pistol off for the shot so i could lay down and be more comfortable and confident with my shot um and so i was actually carrying the pistol in the holster um and running and so we were just running down the hill as fast as we could and i actually felt the holster get light in my hand and I was like, oh crap, lost the gun. And so I turned around and before Tana was a couple steps behind me, luckily she hadn't stepped on it yet, but the pistol was actually down in the snow. And all I could see was the hint of the little black handle under the snow. And so grabbed the pistol out, kept running. I mean, if had that not 
happened, we would neither one of us would be here talking to you today. But we just kept running, fighting chance with the bow, I guess. But I guess so. I mean, yeah, I'm not quite that confident with my shots. I mean, like I said, I've shot stuff straight on, but it's probably not going to stop a bear. Yeah. And so, um, we just barreled down the hill. We got behind the furthest rocks. There was three rocks total on this little only rock spot in this whole Alpine snowy basin. So there's three rocks about probably four feet tall. Um, and so we got behind the furthest one and we were just, it's almost a waiting game at this point to see if, if the bear was going to come over the hill. I was still kind of thinking, okay, maybe we just need to keep running. And Tana was like, we're not going to run away from this thing. We have to stand our ground basically. Um, and so at that point, that was kind of when realization well, she's overcome her, her fear of bear at this point, because she already killed him with the bow. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, this is, this <laughs> yeah, this is when her fear is coming back. And so her fear is in the process of coming back. She, I can only imagine what she felt like not having a, any sort of weapon other than a bow that's the draw length is five inches too long for and you know all that stuff and so um yeah i mean at that point the bear rounded the hill right past our gear never even stopped or looked at our gear his blood trail and tracks walked a foot from all of our gear and it just ran right past it and i thought that he was going to maybe follow our tracks down the hill and he didn't he saw us when he rounded that hill at 100 150 yards where we had shot him from and he beelined it straight to us. He just cut off our tracks. He wasn't following a track. He just, he saw us there. So, I mean, that tells you something about their vision, but at the same time, it's a wide, wide open snow um, with a couple rocks. And so it's pretty easy to see kind of foreign objects running around, you know, Um, and to where if we were in the brush, you probably wouldn't be able to see us at that point. Tana, how much does a 10 foot uh, coastal brown bear weigh? Probably close to a thousand pounds. Okay. And then by it, the I mean, fall, they gain another so. four to 500 pounds by the fall. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So okay. they're skinny right now, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're big. So this thousand pound wounded, pissed off bear is now like what, 150 yards from you and beelining it towards you. Yeah. And that was actually the point in time. Um, I don't know what happened, but that was the point when he, uh, I don't know if he had, I mean, his blood trail was still there the whole way down the hill but i don't know if he had some clotting or what it was but he hit like this just streak of adrenaline and i don't know if it was just he got close enough to us that he felt like you know they could taste the blood in a sense um and he just was coming fast i mean his whole first 470 yards that he came was a fairly slow process i mean it was five minutes probably by the time he had closed that distance and that last 100 150 yards was maybe 10 seconds max. I mean, it was like, at this point he's coming, he's coming fast, um, mouth open, huffing. I mean, it's not like the typical, um, uh, like you typically see and hear, um, where, you know, you see a bear mountain, it's just, they're growling and it's just all teeth. Um, wasn't like that at all. Um, it was more or less mouth open. Their lips are so long that it hangs over their teeth. You don't really see their teeth. Um, or in this case you didn't anyways. And, um, I mean, it was just mouth open, probably, you know, almost a foot and it's just sprinting at us. Oh, geez. So you've got the pistol or was it a revolver? What it was, yeah, it was a 454 Casual. Um, and so it's a revolver five rounds. Um, the reason we go with the revolver, I've had a lot of questions on that, um, is just because the pure, um, reliability of it. Um, for example, you know, what the, the elements was what ended up being the cause of the rifle failure, basically, 
Um, and so uh, same thing can happen. You know, you have a 10 millimeter semi-automatic and, you know, you drop it in the snow. It's been wet for a week. You haven't been able to dry it out because you're not going to your warm pickup or your warm house. I mean, mm-hmm. you're going back into a tent, everything stays wet, um, stuff rusts up. And so just the pure reliability of it, but at the same time, okay, now I have five shots to make a count um, instead of a lot more, you know? And so um, it rounded the rock, the, the first rock it went around, it was about 20 yards. Um, we were still kind of hiding, trying to hide behind the rock that we were on. <laughs> and I tried to sneak it. Like all I could see was the bear's head over this, this rock that was midway point from us. And so I tried to basically sneak the first round right under its jaw. And, um, I smoked the rock right in front of it. I mean, I just nicked the rock. I don't know what happened if it spattered it or did anything at all. Probably not. Four shots um, left. and so, yeah, now four shots left. <laughs> And I mean, closing the distance. So my, my second shot, um, I cocked the hammer back. I'm like, okay, this has got to count, you know? And you know, when you have a lot of pull on those revolvers, my first one, I didn't cock the hammer back. I should have, I had the time to, but I just didn't really think about it in the moment. Um, but when I missed, I realized, okay, I've got to, these have got to count, you know what I mean? And so I cocked the hammer back, focused a little bit, got more exposed because the bear can see us anyways. It doesn't matter if it can see me now. Is so Tana I got like more exposed further away from you at this point. Like, well, maybe he'll just she's you first or she's tucking behind the rock right beside me. <laughs> and so she's just kind of hiding at this point. I think occasionally peeking over to see what the status is, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I just, so my second shot, I had the hammer cocked back, just focused for a little bit more and just got a really good chest shot on it. And so that was about 15 yards was that first hit with the pistol. Um, and then from there, I didn't cock the hammer back anymore. It was just, I just shot pretty much as fast as I could for the next two rounds. Um, and so it was two in the chest and then he was slightly quartering me on the third, um, hit and I got him right in the front shoulder. Um, he was rounding the one rock that we had between us that I had hit the first time. Uh-huh. And he was right so on the side of that at this point, that last shot, he was five yards or the last one before he whirled. And so I hit him, um, quartering in that front shoulder, front left shoulder, and he turned all the way around. Um, and so that was actually the point at Tana. I don't know how she even thought about it at this point in time, but she actually got her phone on and stuck it above the rock. She didn't really want to be exposed looking over the rock. And so she waited until it kind of, she had found out that it had turned before she turned her phone on and stuck up above the rock. And so, um, it kind of starts to run away from us a little bit, turns another two or another 90 degrees. And I got my last pistol shot was a broadside, just center mast shot on him. Um, and you could tell that hurt him too. And then basically just took off running from there because now I have to reload, you know, the bear was about eight yards on that last broadside shot and it doesn't take a bear long to, to close eight yards if it wants to. And so now I have to reload, you know, and so that's, um, it was just, okay, let's try and buy some more time. And so we took off running after that last shot again. Wow. And, and so then what happens next? I did read that you guys went uphill because you're thinking maybe the bear was hurt too bad to pursue you. Right. And so that was the thing. I mean, that's why it was able to close the distance so fast when we were downhill of it. Um, and so it was like, okay, let's get some high ground on him. Um, you know, at this point I had five more bullets in the pistol. And so, which are my last five bullets for the pistol, Um, and it's like, okay, uh, let's get above it. If you were to come up the hill, you know, we'll have more time to shoot. He'll be slower. Um, 
you know, it won't be like it was where he's coming down on us, where he was able to close that distance so fast. We'll have more time to react. Um, so that was kind of my thought by going uphill. Um, and then I was also thinking it crossed my mind. Okay. I have a bow too. So I can start, you know, maybe flinging arrows at this thing at 70 yards or something. If it's running up at us before I take the pistol shot. So I look over at Tana, Tana, where's my bow? I left it down there. <laughs> and so, and so, okay, well now that's not an option either. We've got five pistol shots if this thing decides to come up the hill, but, um, she goes, I, I think I heard it slide. Um, when we were basically taking off running and I said, well, that would have been a good sign if you did hear a slide. I didn't, um, you know, I mean, at that point I had shot nine times and so I not hearing a whole lot. And yeah. so, um, so yeah, I mean, I didn't hear it slide, but I thought, okay, that's a good sign. We need to keep our high ground. Um, at one point Tana was pretending to be a rock on the hillside because this bear <laughs> can obviously see us up here. And so we just got this only dirt patch that was above us. It was just another little tiny windblown ridge. This one didn't have any rock outcroppings like we were, were hiding behind previously. It was just a little windblown like rock ridge um, that we had got to. And so she was kind of just laying down on the ground, just trying to be as invisible as she could. Um, and I mean, I was just kind of like trying to process what had happened, but thinking, okay, we need to keep our high ground. It sounds like a bad dream where you're like hoping that you just wake up and, you, and you're like laying there in your bed and you're like, oh, everything's okay. <laughs> But that's, not, that's just not how it, it, it felt. It felt a lot worse than a bad dream. I'm yeah, I can yeah. tell you that. Oh. Um, yeah, I mean, Tana had already signed off to her kids at that point. I mean, she was thinking this is it. You know, I was thinking, okay, you know, this is probably it. Am I going to see a white light? Am I going to feel pain? Is it just going to end so quickly that I won't? You know, I mean, those were all thoughts as the bear was coming down the hill um, before I'd shot it with the pistol. But now at this point, I was getting a little bit more uh, just confident in the situation just because he was downhill of us, you know, okay, now I know he has seven bullets in him and I'm like, mm -hmm. eh, you know, and a lot of them are good hits. This is probably just going to be a time thing. Just wait him out now. Um, he's hopefully can't work up to us. So let's get to our gear and reevaluate basically. Um, what, so uh, grain bullet were the, were the revolver rounds? Um, those were 360 grain goodness me. buffalo boar rounds yep okay. and so yeah big 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 rounds um i probably wouldn't suggest anything else as far as uh guns I'm, i mean as far as ammo i know that there's some other good defense rounds that probably would work similarly too um but i'm pretty confident with those rounds now that, that they mean business i mean uh, but it's still it, took three to turn him right yep and that shoulder that left the shoulder shot where he finally turned, that was a pretty critical shot. Um, that one, I almost saw it in his face when I hit the shoulder. I mean, two sh chest shots almost seemed like they did nothing to him. And then that one in the shoulder, I mean, I could almost see like the cringe in his face and it was bad enough for him, obviously to turn around when he was five yards from, from being there, you know what I mean? And so he was hurting bad at that point for him I to have turn a 10 around millimeter with 230 grain bullets. And it seems like that's would be way undergunned. Like you just said, like a hundred percent. Yeah. And I mean, you know, that works for black bears and mountain lions and that sort of thing. You know, that, that a lot of the animals that we run into in the lower 48, um, but up there, I would not even trust a 10 millimeter yet. Not even for a second. It's just not big enough for those animals. Um, 
And so, yeah, I'm, I've ordered a 500 and that's, that's going to be the way it is. I mean, I figure the bigger, the better. And yeah. yeah, I mean, you, there's no such thing as too much in that situation. After you watch one, take three rifle bullets, you know, high caliber rifle bullets that are loaded hot. Um, you know, you almost look it down at a pistol and you think, what's this little thing going to do, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, so Tana, you heard the bear slide. You guys yeah. are now up on this other dirt patch and, and what happens next? When do you finally get comfortable enough? Did, did you get a visual on the bear or? Um... We waited a while, a while. Um, we decided, I don't know how long we were waiting for, maybe 15, 20 minutes before we decided to side hill back to our gear, because if we could side hill back to our gear, we might be able to get a visual down on that hill to see where he went. Mm-hmm. Um, but from, I mean, I had a, an in reach, so I messaged my husband, um, while the bear was slowly working toward us when the rifle jammed, I messaged him and said, the rifle is jammed. Do you know what to do? Because we had never had this. We've used this rifle for 10 years, killed over a hundred big game animals with it. And I've never, ever, ever had a bolt not close. And so I was trying to figure it out. I was going to see if maybe he got the message. It could like, tell me what to do really quick. Or if he had something similar happen. And from that message, from the first rifle shots, to the message when we got side hilled and got back to our gear and found him dead. Um, that was an hour time lapse. Mm. So wow. I, I looked at it later. Cause I was like, it felt like minutes, you know, when you're running and you're doing all of this stuff. But by the time that we waited from the time he first shot the rifle shots to the time we confirmed him dead was an entire hour, an mm. entire hour of pure stress. I could die like fight or flight mode. It was insane. I'm sure it got even more interesting once you you realize that it's dead and it's now getting close to dark and um, you've got this thousand pound bear. And I don't know uh, what Alaska's rules are as far as like uh, taking out the meat on uh, on bears, but I'm sure you guys can provide insight on on that. I'm sure uh, very miserable experience. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we kind of side hilled to our gear. It was really windy at this point, a storm hit, it was blowing 40 to 50, the kind of wind that you'd stand up and get knocked over. It was very, very windy. So we knew a storm was rolling in. My husband had messaged us that a big storm was going to be there the next day. So we were kind of preparing ourselves for that, but we side hilled back to our gear. We still didn't know if it was dead. Um, we got back to our gear, just completely, utterly exhausted. We were watching his tracks. We looked at his blood trail. Um, Trevor was kind of videoing it. And then he peered over the hill and saw a little dot, like right at the bottom of this little wet avalanche slide, which made sense because I heard a slide and Mm -hmm. he's like, is that it? Is it dead? And we both looked at it. And I mean, I don't think I cried, but I definitely like felt this overwhelming, like we lived, you know? (sighs) it's really hard to kind of explain what it feels like when you're about to die and you watch your life flash before your eyes and then you come out of it and you're like, I survived. Mm. Um, and so we just kind of sat there in disbelief for a minute. Like, I think we just, I think we just lived through that, you know, it was kind of a shock. Yeah. Wow. I I mean, I, you don't know what to say to that. Uh, hopefully I'll never be in that situation to be frank with you. So, um, (laughs) then I'm sure the work starts this. So this bear slides down an avalanche and now you've got to go back downhill to take him, take him out of here. Yeah. And so honestly, the only positive side to the situation was where I first shot the bear. Um, (laughs) Like I had said, when he originally was taking a nap, he was in a decent spot, but when he got up from his first long nap, he had went way up towards the top of the mountain. 
And so it would have been a, a, still a pretty good trek. I mean, I know it was only 470 yards, but at the same time, you know, we're in deep snow. And so at this point, um, just to get up to where we were at, I had put some, some little snowshoes on there called verts. They're just kind of meant for climbing. Mm-hmm. And, and so I had used those and if it was okay, if we're going to go up to the bear where it was, we were going to need snowshoes. So that was the, the positive side to it is we have to go down anyways. So, um, we worked our way down to the bear. Um, you don't have to take meat in Alaska on these bears. Um, people have tried, we even talked to the biologist about it and he said, people, um, that, that think bear meat is great and all this stuff have tried these bears and they said they just, they take one bite and throw the rest away. It's, they're pretty nasty. Um, you find a lot of worms when you're skinning them. Um, they're mostly just eating rotten fish all year. Uh, they, they don't really catch the fresh salmon that are running. They're too hard for them to catch. So they catch the dead rotten ones that are right. floating back downstream or up washed up on the bank, that sort of a thing. Um, and so you're not required to take the meat. You have to take the skull and the hide. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's a lot of animal to handle to flip over a thousand pound bear so that you can skin it, you know, and then you have to flip it over again to where you can finish skinning it. And, um, it was on its belly where he, he was at. And so just to get all the cuts, right, we had to flip him over first, which, um, was a task in itself. Kind of the interesting part is I, Tana, I think already went through almost some of the trauma of the situation. Um, and, and she was kind of in, in work mode at this point. Okay. We need to get off this mountain. And it, that's kind of partially where my head was at, but at the same time, um, where Tana said like her life flashed before her eyes, I almost didn't have time for that. I didn't think, um, I had time to think, how's it going to feel like to die? But that was about it. Um, other than that, it was okay. There's all this pressure on me. Tana's got six kids, you know, that she's got to get home to. Um, and so, uh, you know, basically both of our lives are in my hands. So there was a lot of pressure associated with that. Um, and so I hadn't really grasped the situation until we got down to the bear. And so Tana was like already in work mode. Um, and so I told her, okay, I'll help you get the bear flopped over and you can start on these cuts. And I just need to sit down for a minute. And I seriously, once we got it flipped over, I mean, it had already hit me at that point, And I was, I was having even a hard time flipping it over. We basically had to dig a hole below it um, to where we could get it to fall into the hole and use its momentum of rolling slash sliding down the snow to get it to flip over. Um, and so we got it to flip over to where it was on its back where Tana could start the cuts. And I, I just went over and sat on my backpack for probably 15 to 20 minutes. Just that's when it set in for me. I kind of thought I was going to throw up for a little bit. It was just, that was when I had time to think about it. And, um, yeah, that, but, that feeling kind of passed enough to where I was able to, um, get with Tana and, and finish skinning up the bear, but that probably didn't get done until, um, you know, it was probably at least 11 o'clock at night. I know at one point I asked her, what time is it when we were skinning and it was 10 30. Um, and so now dark's creeping up on us. We still have, um, you know, we're obviously not going to make it back to camp tonight. And so, we just need to get off the mountain down to the riverbed, uh, lose that vertical feet to where hopefully it's a little bit warmer. Um, it was kind of almost snowing sleet up where we were at, um, but it was coming down hard and we had cliff lines and stuff that we had to avoid going back down to the creek bottom. And so the goal was to get down through those cliff lines before it got pitch black. Man, I, don't, I can imagine that just that time you took just to decompress there, uh, feeling like you're about to puke. Uh, yeah, neither of us could eat for a long time. We were so sick. 
Yeah. And, and I mean, I would force feed myself. Tana would look at it and she'd go, no, I can't eat this. And I would look at it and I would say the same thing. And I would just, you know, I had uh, little freeze dried meals um, and I would just force, force a bite down my throat. And I'd have to wait about 10 minutes before I could let the feeling of throwing up pass before I could try and take another bite. And so, I mean, I was kind of doing that throughout uh, skinning the bear. I just try and take one bite at a time. Of course, the food by that point, you know, it's so cold, but it's just, I just knew my body needed fuel. Um, and I know Tannis did too, but she just, she wasn't able to push past that throw up feeling. And right. I, I kind of was. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was very stressful, but to me at this point, I still hadn't checked off the list. Okay. We've survived this one because we still have a long ways to go and we have five pistol bullets left and, um, you know, we're living with the bears basically. And now we're covered in blood. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it's in my mind, we're not safe. Um, and we haven't survived this until we get back to the main camp. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, we, I still hadn't even checked it off the list of, okay, yeah, we've made, we've made it out of this one. It's, we still got a way to ways to go is basically where our heads were at. Yeah. It was kind of like halftime once we got that bear down. <laughs> so you, you guys get the bear packed out, finally get back to camp the next day. What, yeah, um, we stayed the night on a creek bottom mm-hmm. in the in the monsoon rains, rain and uh, windstorm. It was awesome. <laughs> that doesn't sound fun at all. Uh, <laughs> what would you take away from this experience? Did, did you was there anything that you learned or anything that you would have done differently? There's a lot of things. <laughs> I mean, I think from any time you have a situation like this, you know, you have people that are like, man, you're crazy. You're stupid. You're this, you're that. Um, I think the most important thing out of all situations like this is just learning from them, trying to take away um, information to where you can be more prepared for your next one. And so um, main thing I would do is I would always have at least two rifles on a hunt like this um, and always have basically a pistol on everybody um, and a big pistol, not a, not a small one. Um, Everybody needs to have a big pistol on them. Um, at quick access so that so that in case something like that happens you're ready to go Um, there's a couple things that I would say would have been more comfortable to have when we were sleeping on the riverbed like I said we were kind of prepared to spend the night up there but um, you know we didn't have a sleeping pad so we're laying on river rocks you know we had a tarp and so the rain's coming in from sideways and winds coming in from sideways Um, we luckily had some some dry clothes and dry bags something you'll learn in Alaska is if you don't have something in a dry bag, it's virtually useless right. um, just because it will get wet. And so you have puffies in your backpack. It does you no good. Um, you can have a rain cover on your backpack. You can have a waterproof backpack. It doesn't matter what it is. It will get wet if it's not in a dry bag. And so um, we had luckily a couple pairs of dry puffies and dry pair of socks in dry bags to where when we got at the riverbed, we were able to put dry clothes on under that tarp. Still didn't keep it from being freezing all night, but it was enough to where we didn't get hypothermia. But, um, you know, a sleeping pad would have been nice to have, um, you know, there's some things where we could have made it. So it wasn't so hard on us, you know, Tana maybe got an hour of sleep. I got maybe two, um, before we had seven miles back. Um, I had 150 pound pack on Tana had about a hundred. Um, and so long ways back and straight up just rain. Um, the rain never stopped until about 30 minutes from the tent, go figure. Um, and so it (laughs) took us that whole next day. I mean, we started hiking at I don't know, it was probably nine in the morning or so. It took us a long time to get the motivation to stand up out in the rainstorm. 
um, and, and get those heavy backpacks on. So we started probably hiking nine in the morning. That's got the worst. Um, the, for me, the worst is putting wet boots on in the morning. Like, like you can be Ooh, ours were so wet. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you could be, you know, all your other clothes could be dry. Right. But you know, you have to put wet boots on. It's like, oh, maybe I'll just lay here for five or 10 more. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's what that. it was. I mean, it was like, you know, we have a dry pair of socks on because we had brought those, but yeah. you know, the second you flip, slip your foot, <laughs> foot into your boot, it's just going to soak it right up, you know? Yeah. And then we have, we have to cross the river probably five times. Um, and then probably 20 to 30 Creek crossings, um, the river crossings, we did need like oh, those overboot hip waders mm-hmm. that we had to throw on cause it was knee deep or, or more. Um, and then the other creeks, we ended up just pretty much walking through them because our boots were so full of water and we were so soaking wet. It honestly didn't matter at that point. Right. Right, man. So as we're, as we're wrapping up here, uh, and, and first of all, I really appreciate you guys jumping on, making time for us. Um, you talked about, you know, what you take away from this, um, experience where, I mean, you almost, almost were killed by a bear. Um, I did want to, uh, give you the opportunity. So you said, Tana was filming this. You mentioned earlier, you guys, your family has a YouTube channel, maybe a podcast as well. Uh, if you want to plug that stuff, um, love for you to do that. Yeah. So we do, um, we have a stuck in the rut is what it's called. It's a, we have a YouTube channel. We do do a podcast too. Um, and so we, our main thing is we just try to get real videos for people. Um, we're pretty hardcore. We don't do a lot of the fake stuff. We don't, we don't play anything out. Um, like you see on a lot of videos. And so it's just pretty raw footage, um, but it's real. Um, we don't have any acting in it. We don't have any of that stuff. And so, um, we did that and we got most of the hunt on video. Um, the only thing that there's missing is, uh, after my rifle shots, the gun was jammed. We have some audio of the gun being jammed and us basically freaking out. Um, and then Tana didn't catch the video again until the last pistol shot. And so, um, but we've got a lot of footage of that and yeah, it'll be a pretty cool hunt once we get it all put together. And so stuck in the rut is the name of the podcast and the YouTube. It is. Yep. yep. Cool. And if folks want to follow you guys on, uh, Instagram. Yeah, I'm just Trevor Schneider and, uh, I'm not sure what Tana's name is on there. Mine is Tana Sue fit Tana Sue underscore fit. Sorry. <laughs> cool. Well guys, thanks again. Um, Last question. What are you doing? A rug, a full body mount? What do you, what's happening to this? Uh- so my initial plan when I went on the hunt was, okay, I, I, I want to do a rug. You know, my brother had got one of these coastal Browns and he did a full body mount. And, um, I mean, you virtually have to build a house around it. Right. Uh, they're, they're so <laughs> massive. I mean, they're huge. You know, if one of these bears were to stand up on its hind legs, you know, you're, you're looking at probably 12 feet tall or something like that. You know, it's over a basketball hoop. If one of these things is standing up, And so you put one of those, you know, just walking. And I mean, it still takes up a massive, massive room. And so um, the original plan was a rug. And then after this hunt and the experience we went on, I kind of want to um, capture a little bit of what we saw. And so So the goal now, yeah, so I'll build a room (laughs) for this one, um, but it'll be, uh, it'll be basically a running mount. If I can find somebody to do it with its mouth open at us, um, as close as I can, as somebody can get it to basically what we saw at 15 yards or five yards running at us. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I kind of want to capture that. I mean, it's something I would never have happen again. And he looks just like (laughs) when I shot him from a tree stand where I was safe. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Exactly. And so, I mean, that's kind of cool. I always think that's cool when people do mounts that kind of encompass your, 
memory of the animal. Um, and so that's kind of what I want to get with this one is have it. Um, so I can show people, okay, look what that looks like. Imagine that running at your, <laughs> at your face, <laughs> you know, and just, I think it would be kind of cool to have that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You should definitely do it. Well, uh, guys, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's a hell of a story and, uh, one, I know you were, didn't know if you're going to walk away from, but, and yeah. you know, it's, I think it would be cool if you're going to have that experience to why not have it with family. Right. So. Yep. Yep. I think that's honestly one of the coolest things about how, um, Alaska has that rule. Um, it incentivizes people to go hunting with their family. I mean, how many people just in general get to go up and go on a hunt like that? Um, let alone me and my sister be able to go up and go and do a hunt like that together. I mean, it's just really cool. And I've, I've done, uh, my moose hunt was with her up there too last fall. Um, and then the doll sheep hunt was with her husband. So, I mean, I think that's a really cool law up there and it really gets you to spend some good quality time together. Um, yeah. you know, I'd, I'd have a hard time believing that anybody's, uh, you know, is kind of bonded as me and Tanar as, as brothers and sister after, uh, you know, a, a moment like that and kind of the hunting that we've done together up there. And so I'm grateful yeah. for, um, those rules and laws that Alaska has to do that. No doubt. Well, hopefully one of my siblings will move to Alaska. So <laughs> enjoy that as well, but, uh, Hey guys, thanks so much for your time. I, I certainly appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for having us on. All right, there they go. Trevor Schneider and Tana Grenda joining us from um, Idaho and Alaska, respectively. Man, what an encounter. And one that we would frankly be reading about in a newspaper had Trevor not felt that 454 Casul fall out of the holster while running down the hill uh, away from the bear. Fascinating stuff. Uh, that segment of the show brought to you by All Seasons Feeders, Blinds, and Smokers. You can find their entire lineup at allseasonsfeeders.com. Unfortunately, we are out of time for today. Got to go. Got to get out of here. Thanks to Trevor and Tana for being here. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making the show possible. Thanks to you guys and gals for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Until then, I'm Cable Smith saying y'all have a great week in the outdoors. 